First, the disclaimer. The images on the screen in no way or in part represent any images associated with the NCAA and may not be used without express consent of the associated agency or its representatives. Seriously. It is fun sometimes to have divisions like sports teams in a house divided and things like that and to have rivalries. But we all know true well there's too many serious divisions that go on. And when it comes to Jesus, we remember Jesus' words in Matthew 10 as he spoke about divisions, that he came not to bring peace, but a sword, and that there would be division right down to the very relationships in the households where people live. I think it's important as we start that we hear how Mark starts his gospel because he sets the tone for what he is going to be talking about throughout his gospel. With this simple phrase, he says this in his opening statement. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is what Mark is going to be presenting, and this is what we will be seeing today in the gospel lesson as it was read. That Mark is presenting Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and what that means to the people around him. Writing about who he's presenting. And yet the people right in front of Jesus in that day can't see who he truly is. You know, Jesus has been all over the countryside already. He's been healing a leper he's healed and a paralytic. He's been casting out demons. He's been preaching the good news. He's been forgiving sins. The crowds are wild about him because he's come to the common people, people who have been forgotten, people who have been left to their own. And so they follow him for healing, for wisdom, for touch, for hope. But now he's coming home, coming to the place where his family lives. And the expectations are very high for them. In fact, Mark starts with just that opening that the crowds were so thick that they couldn't even sit down to have a bite to eat. And then his family shows up. The Greek actually for that phrase is those who were his own came. They watched how Jesus was surrounded by the crowds, the feverish pace that he kept in all that he did. They thought in their own minds many times, I think, that he had gone out for this moment, but now he had come back. This time in the wilderness, this time with people was done. Now he could settle down. Now things could calm down. Now they could restore things to the way they were. You see, they didn't yet believe in him. John tells us that in his gospel. He had had his experience. But no, that wasn't what they saw. They saw again Jesus in the midst of people. And in their minds they said no sane person would keep this up. He is out of his mind. He is beside himself. He's home. And the family expectations were high. But there were also divisions and they were severe in his life. You know there's a story of a pastor who went back to preach a 50th anniversary of a church that he had ministered to. When he arrived, he met Bill, who in his tenure had been a very active member, who had been the guy who would all, was always there, who would unlock the doors whenever something was happening. He talked to Bill, and he said, Bill, how's it going? He said, well, you know, Pastor, I don't worship here anymore. Oh, the pastor was surprised. 
Well, what happened? He said, you know, after you left, Pastor, there was some difference of opinion. And where it settled out, there were some of us that just couldn't live with that opinion. So we moved on and we started another church. Oh, said the pastor. And so that's where you worship now. Well, not exactly, Pastor. You know, even in that church, there were people that I just simply couldn't agree with. So we rented a storefront and began a service there. Oh, so that's been the fulfillment for you now. Well, not exactly, Pastor. You see, there were people in that group who just were given a lip service and weren't showing up and doing all that I thought they should. Oh, said the pastor, so what are you doing now? Well, my wife and I left that and we decided we'd worship at home. So you finally found fulfillment, Bill, in worshiping at home. Not exactly, Pastor. You see, my wife has started to have some ideas I'm not too sure of, so we don't worship together anymore. She worships in the kitchen and I worship in the living room. It is funny, isn't it? But sometimes it's all too true. The divisions that come when we come to Jesus Christ. His family fails to see Jesus, fails to see who he is, fails to see the power of the spirit that he was anointed with at his baptism that is working in him. That right in front of their face, the will of God is being done through Jesus' ministry. They want to bring him back into line. And so they attack him along with others. Those others, Mark immediately shifts, are those who have come down from Jerusalem, those from that, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. Come down because they've heard about Jesus, this upstart. Jesus who has divided them already, where some have said that he must be from God doing the works that he does, and others have said he isn't from God. In fact, they come down and they've heard about all that he's been doing, but especially they're interested in his casting out demons. A few verses before today's gospel, it's Mark records this. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Now here's the interesting thing. Those who were members of the Sanhedrin would have been those who would have, would have been called upon to cast out demons. That was part of their job for the people of Israel. But they had so removed themselves from the common people, only associated with the wealthy, only those who were influential, that they had neglected their job as shepherds of Israel. So here is Jesus, who now goes to those people that they want nothing to do. Here is Jesus, this new rabbi, doing our work. But he's not one of us. And if he's not one of us, then he must be from somewhere else. That's why they levy this charge. He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. You see, they too don't see Jesus for who he is. They don't see his work as a work of God and of the power of the Spirit. They see his work as demonic. So Jesus calls them together and he says these words. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. The end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. And then he can plunder the strong man's house. 
You know, remember when Jesus went out into the wilderness led by the Spirit after his baptism, he went to do battle with Satan, to confront him. Jesus' mission was to destroy Satan. So what he's saying to them is exactly this. Why would Satan enable one who has come to destroy him, to give him power to destroy him even more? He uses that phrase, a divided kingdom, that that audience would have known. Thinking of their own kingdom, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and all the grief that came from that division. He jumps to the word house then being divided, thinking of how his family is now and how they are divided over he is. And then comes to that phrase, the strong. Remember that Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. He is indeed strong. But what Jesus is saying to them is, I am stronger. And the evidence that I am stronger is this, that I am able to cast out the demons. I am able to bind him. I am able to plunder his realm and to take over. And then Jesus says that verse, verse that I would say is one of the most misapplied verses that there is in all of Scripture. Truly, I tell you, People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. And what I would say is context, context, context. It's about what's going on right in front of them. It's about, about the discussion that's taking place right there. That verse has been used throughout the history of the church by many different factions to impose their will. In fact, the Spanish Inquisition would levy this charge against anyone who wouldn't submit to the authority of the church that they had blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and could never be forgiven. What's important to understand as we hear this verse are some facts that we need to look at that we find in Scripture. First of all, that Jesus works by the power of the Holy Spirit. That his works that he is doing is all bound up in the true work of God. They not only, those members from the Sanhedrin, fail to see that. They ascribe that work to being from Satan. And see, the problem with them is that they see good, but they call good evil. So what is the Holy Spirit's work? What does the scripture tell us? That the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw all of us to the good, to Jesus, to his forgiveness, to his hope, to his life. Blaspheming, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is to set one up against the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was accused of blasphemy by the high priest, what it was they said that meant, that you have made yourself equal to God. What Jesus is saying here is that these members from the Sanhedrin are doing the same thing. They are making themselves equal to God because they are passing judgment on Jesus. They are accusing him of being satanic. The Holy Spirit draws all to Jesus and they set themselves up opposed to him. They refuse to be drawn by the Holy Spirit, refuse to come to Jesus, refuse to see him and his work for what it is to forgive sinners. They refuse to be drawn, and that's why Jesus says in that refusal, they cannot be forgiven because they will not see him as good. They will only see him as evil, and they will not be drawn to him. That's why the verse that immediately follows this says, he said this because, 
because they were saying he has an impure spirit. That verse needs to stay in its context of who Jesus is addressing and what he is talking about. I say that because so often people ask, Pastor, I'm afraid I've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. Even that phrase right there says you haven't. Because if you're worried about it, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Remember, it's this context of being set up in direct opposition to Jesus. To call him evil, to call him satanic, to set yourself up and say, there is nothing there that is redemptive or hopeful. Jesus is from the devil. That's what it means, and that's why it isn't forgivable, because somebody isn't going to be drawn then to Jesus for that forgiveness. And then Mark closes his gospel as he began it with his family of Jesus again. And he says this, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus redefines the family. That's what he meant when he said, I've not come to bring peace but a sword. And he talks about those divisions. Redefining the family no longer by blood, but redefining the family by faith in him. This family that we have been called to. The people of Jesus, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers bound together, drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit to do God's will. Whoever does God's will, Jesus said again, is my brother and sister and mother. What is the will of God? Well, John leads it out for us in chapter 6 as Jesus speaks and he says these words. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. The will of God is that the Holy Spirit draw us to look to the Son for our salvation. To give us the gifts that He has come to give in this world. His life for our sins. His forgiveness, His peace, and His hope. So even in the divisions of our own lives, internal divisions that we deal with inside, divisions of setting ourselves up as the one that we worship most in our selfishness, in our wants, and in our desires, opposed to our true worship of Jesus, the true King of our lives, as we break and we confess those words, I have not loved God with my whole heart. I've loved myself more. And then the external divisions in our lives that we deal with. Disagreements with one another. Disagreements with those around us. In families, in work situations. Disagreements that evidence the other words that say, And I have not loved my neighbor as myself. Still in the divisions of our lives inside and out. The Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. The one who heals us. The one who forgives us. 
the one that gives us life once again. We look to the Son who gives us that life, who saves us eternally, who will raise us up on the last day. That is what Jesus came to do. Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Son of God, came to give us life, to bring healing to our divisions, to bring hope to our lives, to bring peace as we live and move and have our being in Him. We pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your ministry on this earth. We know that there are divisions that are caused by knowing that you are our Savior and Lord and that there is only salvation in your name. But may we ever be drawn by your Spirit to confess you the only true and eternal God, the one who has given us life in your name and who will raise us up on the last day. May your Holy Spirit work always in the hearts of your people, recreating and forgiving, healing and restoring always, that you, Lord, may be the head of all that we do, and that our worship may be true. All of this we ask in your name. Amen.